0: Hi, and welcome to ComChurch Talks. This is our sermon of the day. We pray that it will be a real blessing to you. I know you'll be encouraged, challenged, and uplifted by the talk that you're about to hear. Morning, church. Last week, Rob uh, took us through the true vine, amen. He went through scripture and taught us on the true vine. And we learned that Jesus is the true vine, and we as believers are branches. But more importantly, we learned that unless the branch stays in the vine, it cannot have a life of its own. You cut a branch off a tree, leave it there, you come a few days later, you know the result. The branch is lifeless, it has withered away. And this morning we want to look at an illustration of when a branch casts itself off. And we're going to look at the parable of the prodigal son. Amen. Now, that's the heading. That's, you know, in most of our Bibles, parable of the prodigal son or parable of the lost son. But it could have been any other heading. I often think maybe it should have been the father's love or the greatest love of all. Amen. And as we start, I think it's, it's, it's good to get the background of why Jesus told This parable. If we read from Luke chapter 15, verse 1 and 2, it says, Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners and is with them. So that's the background. In response to this complaint, then Jesus goes on to tell the parable of the prodigal son. Now, if you can bear with us, I know most of us are familiar with this parable. But if you can bear with us, we just want to read through it quickly because we want us to just for it to be fresh in our minds. Because as we go through, I think things will become much more clearer and we'll understand much more. At least if it's fresh in our uh, minds. So, if you can bear with us for a moment. Praise
1: God. So, reading from um, the book of Luke, chapter fifteen, from verse eleven to thirty-two. Then. Then Jesus said, a certain man had two sons. The younger of them said to the father, father, give me this portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land and And he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country. He said, and he sent him to his fields to feed the swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate. And no one gave him anything. Verse 17. And when he had come to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare? And I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. Then he arose and came to his father. And when he was still a great way off, the father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet, and bring the fettered calf here and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is found. Then they began to be merry. Now his older son was in the field, and as, the, and as he came and drew near the house, he heard the music and he heard the music dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come. And because he has received him in safe and sound, your father has killed a feted calf. But the, the older brother was angry and would not go in. Therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him. And he answered and said to his father, Lo, this many years I have, I have been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time, and yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed a feted cow for him. And so the father said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is found. Amen. Praise God. And so the initial thing that we wanted to look at then was the inheritance. And the first question to ask is, why did the son ask for part of the inheritance? Why did he not ask for pocket money or a portion of money from the dad to say to, to live away for a while? But why did he ask for inheritance? To, to me, that shows that this, the son wanted the father to be no longer alive. Or he was saying to the, to the father, you are, you are dead to me. I, don't, I no longer want to be part of you. So asking for that in, inheritance, you, you would think that the father would have been, you know, probably was a grief, but you think that he would have been angry. But we know that the father gave him his inheritance. And then we know that after getting his inheritance, the son quickly gathered everything that he had. And the Bible says he went to a far country. And again, you ask yourself, somebody would not just, start, you know, just decide, oh, I've got this inheritance, I'm going to go now. For, for me, if he had already taken this and gone away quickly, it means he had been planning this all along, and getting his inheritance was like a final piece to his plan. It was that he'd been planning all along, whatever, you know, the reasons may have been, but he, it, it wasn't like a one-day thing or a one-week thing. He had been planning for a very long time. And the fact that he went away to a very far country, he really wanted to be away from home, cut all family ties with his father, and whoever else was there, um, and his brothers as well. And so why did the son, what, what, we think, what do we think the reasons for his leaving was? And it's a question that we we'll ask ourselves as well. Could it, be, could it be that he thought life was better out there than in the father's house? Remember that he was in a, in, in a household of plenty. I said earlier that if, if the son had planned and said, God, give me, Father, give me this inheritance. It must have been a huge inheritance. If, if it was a 1,000 pounds or 2,000 pounds, that's not going to last you a lifetime. So it must have been a huge inheritance. He must have calculated and seen that this will last me. In his finite mind, he thought it would last him a lifetime. But we know that the Bible says he then went and spent it all, and very hastily spent it all. And f- so it is for us as well, whether we're young or old. As we walk, as we are in the Christian walk, what is, our, what is our thought process? What are we thinking? When you look at people out in the world there, do we look at them? Do we think life is better out there? For the sun, it was as if the grass was greener on the other side. But actually, we all know that what looks green from afar, when you go in, you then see, when you go nearer, you then see the patches. You realize, actually, it's not as green. So what are we like as children of God? Are we happy where we are? Do we think we have the greener side, or are we looking out the other, the other way? Again, I have a story of a close person in my life who had, like the prodigal son, decided, do you know what, life is tough here. God is not answering my prayers. I'm not going to stay here. I'm just going to go out in the world. And then turned back. When he got there, when she got there, she realized actually that it was harder out there than in the Lord. You have the covering of the father in the Lord. Um, And like the son moved away from the covering of his father when he left. And also when we look at our children, more so applies to our children. A lot of them, or maybe my own, mine only, or ours only, sometimes they look out there and they think life is easier, better out there. Or they think there's freedom out there. But actually, what does that say about our parenting styles? Um, are we letting people know, are we letting our young children realize that there's freedom in Christ? Are we letting them realize that actually we can have joy in the Lord? Amen. And not going out there and living, you know, they might look, like I said, the grass is greener out there. They might look and think the grass is greener out there. But actually, that what looks as freedom from afar is not actually freedom. It's the devil enticing them. And then when they are dipping it, it's harder to come out again. Or they, like the prodigal son, they will realize when they get there that whatever they've gone out with can quickly run away. Remember, we talked about the vine that Rob talked about last week that as you are constantly, if you are constantly attached to the vine, you don't run dry. But when you pull yourself away from the vine, then you can wither away. We know that the son was not careful. The father, for him to get to where he was, must have been careful with his budgeting and planning and was a blessed man. But the, 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 father, the son, because he did not work for it, the Bible says he, in a binge of extravagant and reckless living, he spent it all and spent it very quickly. Us as well, we don't realize what we have in Christ until we move away. Like I said with this person close to me, we don't realize what we have until we actually move away from the covering of God. Uh, The the son also thought that he could do a better job of running his own life. How many of us think that? How how many times have I thought to myself, I'm going to make my own decisions? But actually, we need the covering of the Father. Amen. The Bible says we should not lean on our own understanding. Proverbs, 30, Proverbs 3, verse 5 and 6, it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. Amen. And so we all know that once his inheritance had dried up, obviously there were consequences. The, child, the, the son was now hungry. Um, reality soon set in. He realized what he had done. Amen.
0: Amen. We'll let Rose take her seat. She'll come back to finish the last part of the message. Now, after the son had w- uh, wasted his inheritance, he was at his most vulnerable position. And things soon got worse because the Bible says famine set in in that country. Now, when you are you are at the lowest point and something worse happens, that was his situation. And now, from that point, he decided he will go and look for work. Actually, he went and begged. He went to this farmer in that country and begged this man to give him a job, something to do. And to make matters worse, the man doesn't say, okay, you could be either doing my accounting or you could either be managing my affairs. affairs." But the man sent him to the fields and said, you go and tend my pigs you go and feed my pigs. Now this is a young man who lived in a house of plenty, a father who was rich, a father who provided him with everything he needed. He thought he could do a better job. He has gone away and suddenly things all turn upside down. His inheritance is finished. His friends are no longer there with him. He has to look for a job. I'm pretty sure Being a son of a rich man, he probably had never worked in his life, but now he has to work. But I wonder, at that point, if you have grown up with a silver spoon, so to speak, in your mouth, I wonder, wouldn't you decide, now things are tough, I will go back to my father? Wouldn't you think like that? But instead, he lowers himself down and says, well, I'll go and work in the fields, and feed this man's pigs. Now, just to get the context of how tough this was, no one will give this young man anything. The Bible says you would have gladly eaten the food that the pigs were eating just to survive. That's how bad things were. So why not think of going back to the father? Was it a feeling of guilt guilt? that prevented him from going back? Was it pride? Sometimes when we mess up, we don't go back to God in repentance because we just feel we're too proud to admit that we were wrong in what we're doing or the direction that we took. Or was it because he didn't want to be identified as a failure? Sometimes we think if I've been walking with the Lord, and I've fallen away. I think, no, I can't go back to that church. What will they think of me? Is it possible that that's what he thought? I can't be viewed as a failure. After all, I thought I knew it all. But thank God, one day the Bible says he came to himself. He realized the error of his ways and decided, no, I cannot live like this. And he says, I will go back to my father's household. Amen. He kind of recites. I like this because he kind of recites what he will say to the father. He wanted to get it accurately. He didn't want to mess up now. He's going back. So he says, he says, okay, I'll get back to my father and say, forgive me because I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you. And he says in verse 19, he says, I am no longer worthy to be called your son make me like one of your hired servants. That's his script. That's what he had planned he would say to his father. I'm not worthy anymore to be called your son. Make me like one of your servants. But that is not the identity that his loving father had of him. And I wonder, when we mess up or when the lost come to the Lord, what do they think? Or what do we think of ourselves? What is our identity when we come back to the Lord, when we make things right? Do we still view ourselves as sons? Or we think I'm not worthy to be called a son anymore? Sometimes we give us identities that are not according to the word of God. The Bible tells us who we are in Christ. And once we've come back to the Lord, he forgives and we ought to see ourselves the way He sees us. So the son had demoted himself to being a servant. However, once he came with a repentant heart, his father overlooked his sin and restored him. It is not for us to give ourselves new identity when we come back to him. Worse still, we may not give ourselves new identities But we can give those who are coming into the household of God new identities. Those who may have fallen away when they come back to the Lord, sometimes we may give them new identities. You know the older brother, when he returned home and found, you know, the whole family was parting and celebrating the return of the young one. He was not happy. He wouldn't even go into the house to celebrate with them until he took the father to come out And plead with him to say, Come inside, let us rejoice, for your brother was lost, but now he is found. Actually, even goes on further and said, Your brother was dead, but now he's is alive. That's how God views all of us. When we come to him, we are alive again because he gives life, he gives us life through Christ Jesus. Now, when the father came to reason with the older brother, this is what he said to the father says in verse 30, But as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fated calf for him. This is said in contempt. It's no longer my brother who has come back home. It's no longer my father's son, but this son of yours. If someone said this husband of yours or this wife of yours, trust me, you will know that is not said with endearment. So the older brother now gives the younger brother a new identity because he had fallen away and it had come back into the house. Now when the lost come in to our church or our church as a whole, as the body of Christ, how do we view them? God has cleansed them. He has restored them. But how do we view them? Do we continue to talk behind their back and say, oh, do you know what he or she previously did? And we're still, it's not even a matter of talking. Sometimes in our minds, what do we think of them? Oh, how can he come here and lift, you know, hands into the Lord? Doesn't he remember what he has done? He is such and such, he is such and such. Sometimes there's that danger where we give identity to others when God has long forgiven and moved on. Someone once said to me years ago that sometimes we'll be surprised when we get to heaven to see the people who have made it to heaven because we have written them off. We thought they can't possibly make it. So let us be careful. Hallelujah. The mess that we may have been in should not define who we are when we truly turn back to God. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says, Therefore, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are new. New creation. Old things have passed away. So who are we to keep holding the old things against them? We are now sinning against God if God has cleansed them, but we are still holding that banner over their lives. New creation. Old things passed away. Let's remember it is God who defines who we are and we should start seeing ourselves the way God sees us. Amen. Now we look again at, we're just going to look through the, the people in this parable to ultimately understand the enormity of this great love that is being shown here. Now let's look at the, um, the Pharisees themselves from verse one as we say it. The Bible tells us the reason that the tax collectors and the sinners came to Jesus. It says they came to hear him. Now we know everywhere Jesus went, he taught the good news of the gospel. So they came to hear the good news of the gospel. And we have the Pharisees and the scribes saying to Jesus, no, no, no. This is not right. You can't possibly spend time with them. You can't possibly be eating with them. Political correctness. John chapter 6 verse 68, Simon Peter answered and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? For you alone have the ways of eternal life. You are our hope. Jesus alone had the ways of eternal life. And yet the Pharisees are saying to the uh, sinners and the text collectors, you can't go and listen to Jesus. Jesus, you can't spend time with these. You can't eat with them. Now, if we are that keen to separate ourselves from the lost, then who is going to minister to them? So how is our light going to shine towards them? Therefore, we are the salt that is good for nothing. Because the Bible says a salt that does not have its flavor is good for nothing but to be thrown away. So if the flavor stays in that cupboard for years and years, locked in that bottle, it will never benefit anyone. The bottle must be opened. The flavor, the salt, must be used for it to benefit anyone. Just imagine here in Come Church, if we closed our doors and said to the lost, "No, you can't come here," or even if they came and we said, "No, you sit in that far corner by yourselves," that's what the Pharisees effectively are saying to Jesus: "No, don't hang out. Don't, you know." Uh, mingling with the, these sinners. Or we still, we can say after the service, no, we can't share our coffee at the back there with you. That's what Jesus was doing. He was eating with these sinners and the tax collectors. But the Pharisees were not happy with this. So if we stopped having a heart for the lost, then we are good for nothing. Good for nothing at all. What is our attitude toward the lost? Are we like the elder brother who was not happy when the younger brother came and was received with joy? Or are we like the Pharisees? Or are we like Jesus? Prepared to mingle with the lost. I always like what Pastor Elena always says, being out there in the marketplace where the people are showing the love and the light of Jesus Christ. Or are we concerned about ourselves only? We need to allow the things that break God's heart to touch us as well. The next thing in this parable that we wanted to look at is something so astounding. In verse 12. When the father divided the inheritance, the scripture says he actually divided it to the two sons, not just to the young one who asked. I would read that. Verse 12 says, So the father went ahead and distributed among the two sons their inheritance. Now when the young son comes, this is what the older son said to the father. Verse 29, I have lived a good life before you and saved you all these years, but you never even gave me a young goat to slaughter and to celebrate with my friends. And the father responded and said, My son, Everything that I have is yours. Everything. So my question to us this morning, he's complaining, Father, you didn't give me just one coat, And yet the father reminds him that everything I have, not just one coat, everything I have is yours. And furthermore, we see from verse 12 that he had been given this inheritance when the younger son was also given. So how come he lived through all these years without realizing that? How many of us as believers go through years not knowing the things that are freely given to us in Christ Jesus? The benefits, the blessings that are given to us. And then we cry and we complain. But God is saying, I have given these things to you. God is saying, you are more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus God is saying, I provide for all of your needs according to my riches in glory. God says, I am your healer. God says, I am your protector. God says, my hand is over your life. God says, I will guide and direct your steps as long as you lean on me. Suddenly we say, Lord, why have you deserted us? God has not deserted us. Let us take time, brethren, to dig into the word of God. It's the only way you and I will know the things that are freely, that's what the scripture says, freely given to us in Christ Jesus. We don't have to work for them. They are freely given. Christ has paid the ultimate price. Let us know our inheritance. Let's not be like the the older brother. Then finally, as I said, the young man came to himself in his lowest of positions and said, no, I can't live like this. I can't, you know, beg here. I can't keep feeding these pigs. And the sorry thing about his situation was the Bible actually says no one could give him anything, as I said. So finally he says, no, I will go back to my father. I will apologize. I will repent. So he rises up. Jenny's back home. In our times of lowness, when we are, perhaps we have maybe messed it up, or even for the lost out there, all that is needed with God is for us to turn our back on the old life and to respond to the love of God. Our mess may be so enormous that it overwhelms us. But all that is required is to turn back. God will do the rest. Amen. So the young man rises up and he goes back home. Now the Bible says in verse 20, when he was still a great way off, his father saw him. Two responses that are there. We have the young man coming, he's walking. I don't know what may have been going through his mind. Perhaps he's thinking, Will my father receive me? What will he think? I took away the inheritance. I'm coming back home empty-handed. He's walking slowly. Then we have the father who the moment he sees the son, the Bible says he ran towards the son. Never waited for him to get there. He ran towards his son. I wonder whether he stood there every day looking and saying, will my son come back home? Will my son come back home? He never lost hope, day in, day out. And it's the same with us, brethren. Let us not lose hope about our loved ones who are lost. Let's keep praying for them. Let's not lose hope about our children. Let's keep praying for them. In spite of what we may see as reality, but let us keep praying for their salvation, praying for their restoration. Amen. Let's be like the father who never gave up hope. But the one thing, the man is coming, he has been living a life of, uh, you know, being a destitute. He comes in his rags. He comes barefoot. But the father saw and identified his son from that far. God never forgets us. No matter how much the mess that we may have found ourselves in has beaten us down, he never forgets us. Amen. He is ready and waiting for us. This young man is coming in a complete contrast to the day that he left home. I'm sure he was well nourished. I'm sure he was, you know, he had all this luggage and baggage carrying his riches, the whole inheritance away from home. He comes back in complete contrast, in rags, barefoot, and I'm sure smelling from pigs because he spent his days in the field feeding pigs and he comes back. But that could not keep the father away from him. This is a young man who had everything and yet lost it all. He lost his dignity to the point of begging. And he was ready, as I said earlier on, to eat pig food. The scripture says, as dire as his situation was, no one would give him anything. And he was all alone in his self-inflicted suffering. But thank God for a father with a heart of compassion. When he saw him, the father could not accept him any other way. He came to beg, to say, take me as one of your servants. But the father always had one thing in his mind. He is my son and he will always be my son. No matter how much he has messed up, as long as he comes back in repentance, I will take him in. Because he is my son. You know the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 1 verse 11. Come now and let us reason together. Says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet. They shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson. They shall be as wool. God loves us unconditionally. If we come back to him in repentance. As I said, no matter how bad or no matter how big the mess that I have been in, he says, come now, come. He's the one standing there and calling us. Come to me. Let us reason together. Come to me. Don't stay there in self-pity. Don't stay there because of guilt. Don't stay there because of pride. Don't stay there because you think, what will people think? He says, Come to me. Let us reason together. Let us talk together. And I will clean you up. All the stain, I will clean that up. I don't know what other love can be greater than this love of God that is demonstrated in this parable of the prodigal son. God loves us unconditionally. Though he felt unworthy of his father's love, The son went back home. That's the key thing. He went back home. He went back home. Chris said it. If you have challenges in your life, being in church is the place where you want to be. Let us not stay back home. Sometimes I know these things weigh heavily on us, but let us get ourselves into the house of God and allow God to minister to us and to touch us Amen. I thank God for such unconditional love. You know, at another time in Luke chapter 15, it seems this was a pattern with the Pharisees. We're just looking at Luke chapter 15 here, but in Luke chapter 5, the exact same thing happened. That sinners and tax collectors again had come to Jesus and the Pharisees criticized him in the same manner as they are criticizing him in Luke chapter 15. Now, Jesus' response tells us everything we need to know about the Father's love. In Luke, chapter 50, in Luke chapter 5, verse 31 and 32, Jesus says to the Pharisees, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. People may write off the lost, People may write off those who have messed up, but they are Jesus' prime concern, and that's the reason Jesus came. Amen.
1: So we have heard of the Father's compassion, and we see that the Father forgave his son, and as a sign of forgiveness, and he also accepted him. So as a sign of forgiveness and acceptance, he gave him some gifts, and those gifts were of significance. The Bible says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and purify us from all unrighteousness. So we see that the first gift that the father gave to the son, as prayer already said, that he, was, he came smelly. The Bible says, come as you are. You know, we need to come as we are. We, didn't, we don't need to clean up ourselves first. So the, you know, imagine the, father, the, the son had not washed himself, yet, yet the father gave him a robe, of, he gave him the best robe. You know, he gave him a long, long he said, um, give him a robe. And for me, that robe, he was given the robe. Then the Father cleansed him, obviously, with his... If we look at the Father, the Lord Jesus cleanses us. He cleanses us and clothes us in the robe of righteousness. Isaiah 61 verse 10 says, I will gladly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God. For he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. And he has covered me with the robe of righteousness. Amen. So the, that robe was of such significance to us. But obviously we know that we can't just get the robe of righteousness without the salvation. So we need to come to the Lord and be saved. Amen. And then the ring as well was the second gift that he gave. So he gave his ring. We all know that a ring is a sign of affection. And at that time, the ring, the ring was also a sign of, of a symbol of authority. So you're being reinstated into office. So that by the son giving him, by the father giving the son that ring... He was reinstating back as a son. The, remember, the son said, take me as a hired servant. But the father is saying, no, no, no. Even if you are filled the rags, you are still my son. There, there's something great about the father, as prayer already said, the father seeing him from afar off, seeing him in his dirtiness, in his filthiness, covered in whatever he was covered in. But the father still saw him. So father still sees us as well. Wherever we are, some psalm says, where will I hide from you? I think it's Psalm 139. Where will I hide from you, Lord? Even, I, even when I go to the depths of it all, even I go to the depths in the darkness of it you still see me. So the, it doesn't matter where you decide to hide. God will see you. God will see you. So God sees us all. Amen. Amen. So we know that um, when Joseph was given, you know, the, King Pharaoh gave Joseph in, in, um, in Genesis 41 verse 42... Joseph, um, Pharaoh gave Joseph a ring as well as a sign of authority when he instated him as a, in the office of authority to be the, the prime minister of, of Egypt at that time. And we also know that in the times of, um, in, in, in the book of Esther, Esther chapter 2 verse 8, that the king, when Esther had pleaded for, for, the, for the Jews, when Mordecai was, was then taken in and given that place of authority, was also given a ring. So the ring was very significant to the son, was really Take, stripping off the sign of his own identity of saying, I'm lower than what God has put me. But God was saying, No, you're not lower. I, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. God gave what, I, what my identity is for you is what I want you to have. And also, he was not saying it just to the son, he was saying it to all of them, all the people around them as well. Amen. So, those people that were looking, or even the elder son who was saying, This is your son, the father wanted the older son to know that he has reinstated him. Amen. And then the the sandals as well gave him the sandals. He was walking barefooted. Probably blistered. He had walked and walked. Probably his feet were blistered, and he had nothing. And during that time, one line of one school of thought is that servants and, um, and and slaves walked barefooted, but the sons the sons never walked barefooted. So again, it's a sign that the father was saying, "You are the son." Yes, you want to come as a servant, but to me, you are my son. So gave him the best robe, gave, give him the best robe, give him the ring, and give him the sandals. And also for me, that was a sign of meeting God. both the robe, actually, both the robe and, and the sandals. It was meeting the practical needs of the, of, of the son. Because remember, he was all rugged, but actually, God gave him the best clothes. So he exchanged whatever he had, for the best robe, And then the sandals, putting on his, meeting, God was meeting his, or the Father was meeting his practical needs. So you say, you are my son. Yes, you've squandered your inheritance, but you are my son, and I reinstate to you that sonship. Amen. Amen. It is the same with us as well. When we come to the Father, we come back to the covering of the Father. Philippians 4, verse 19 says, God shall supply all my needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. Can I? Okay. And so in conclusion, prayers touched on the Pharisees and the scribes, you not know, the attitude of the Pharisees and the scribes, and the attitude of the Son, attitude of the Father. You know, so we're talking again about the Pharisees and the scribes. They were critical of Jesus spending time and eating with sinners. What they failed to understand was the true love of God, and the reason that Christ Christ had come, which was to seek and save that which was lost, as it says in Luke 19, verse 10. We all know the scripture. Um, Even the youngest person in the house would know the scripture. John 3, verse 16. Should I read 16 and 17? It says, For God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Amen. And as we already said, you can never mess up too, too far or too too much or too bad for the Lord to restore you. You can never stray away too far for the Lord to take you back if you truly repent. If you truly repent. So it come, it's, we, it's not about just walking the way you were walking and, you know, allowing, and and saying, God will heal me. You need to come back. So repenting, as one person said, it is doing a 180 degree turn. So you're turning away from what you were doing before. Amen. And so whether we are young, whether we are old, whether we've been coming to church for a very long time, whether we just came today or last week, if you have not accepted the Lord, there's still that opportunity. Don't be afraid. Some people, they come to church following friends, and then it becomes weeks, become months, months become years. And then after three years, you're like, oh, it's embarrassing. Now I can't, people wonder You know, if I come up and accept the Lord, people will think, what what will people think of me? And again, it's going back to that attitude we were talking about. But you know what, at the end of the day, it's you and God. At the end of the day, you have to make sure you're not running the race and be disqualified at the end because you never registered. It's a bit like prayer. You all know prayer, ran the marathon. It's a bit like if he hadn't registered, he was not going to get that medal at the end. So you can run the race, very dangerous thing to do, but you can run the race and run along and not be part of the race. So when they are acknowledging the runners, you will not be part of those runners. It will be a very, very painful thing, very sad thing, if there is people in Church today that are running the race, but are outside the, the rules. So it's very, very important. In John 14, verse 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to me except through me. So there's no other way. So the first step is to accept the Lord Jesus. So don't be afraid. If you feel, if, if, you know, if, do you know what? Actually, I don't know how many times I've accepted the Lord. <laughs> there were times I felt, you know, if, if, if they called for, if somebody preached and I thought, oh my goodness, I think I need to be saved again. I've been born again and again and again. Because if I'm not sure, I'd rather make sure, I'd rather be, you know, I'd rather make, you no, know, be, be sure that I make it to heaven than not. So if you're not sure, it's not too late. And it's, it's not, it's, it's okay to do it again if you're not sure. And you can also rededicate your life. I'm not saying that you're not saved before. I'm not saying, you know, you, you know, if you are saved, fine. But if you're not sure of your salvation, if you were called by the Lord today and you are, you're not sure where you'd go, I would say, come back and say, Lord, here I am. Take me as I am. Like you took the prodigal son. I'm here. Take me as I am. And we know that God will overlook that. Amen. 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 Scripture says there's rejoicing in heaven when the lost come to the Lord. And we, should too, should re- so we, should too, we too should rejoice. So, our prayer today is that really our hearts will break for what God's hearts break for, which is the lost souls. I just want to share quickly, I'm closing now, just want to share quickly. Um, I remember the reason I want to share that I felt that I was sitting there, I felt that, you know, somebody needed to hear this. I remember one day in a service like this where somebody was preaching and was talking about releasing people, um, and I sat there saying, well, it, you know, that affects everyone else except not, not in my situation. And what it was, was I had been praying for a particular situation, a particular person. And the more I prayed, the worse it became. And then so I was sitting there and said, Lord, you know I've prayed, but nothing has changed. As far as I'm concerned, this person is off my prayer list. <laughs> and you know, I was sitting there and I heard it as clear as day. God said, do you know if that person was the only person in the earth, I still would have sent my son to die? So sometimes the people that we're holding back, the people that we have attitude against, are people that may have done something wrong for us. But you know what? It doesn't matter. God still loves them. Hard as it may seem. It was really hard. I had tears streaming down my face. I said, Lord, I'm sorry. I didn't realize this. But it still hurts me because it was something close to me. And I was saying, God, why? It, months, years has gone. A year has gone. I've been praying. Nothing is happening. But God, why? And, and then you tell me you, you love him? What do you mean? You know, I had all these questions. But actually, it's not for me to decide. It's for God to decide. So we need to release those people as well. So if you have somebody in your life that you feel, you know, they have wronged me or they've done something against me, you know, they're not worthy to be saved. Yes, they are. Because the Lord says so. Amen.
0: Thanks for listening to Church Talks. We'd love to hear from you. And you're welcome to any of our Sunday services or midweek comms. For more information or to contact us, please visit www.comchurch.org.uk or find us on Facebook. God bless.